1: I think I'm just stressing about the fact that I don't have control over (laughs) it.
2: Big leather chair in the middle of the room. (laughs) We're just going straight to the room. Oh my God. I sat in the chair. I sat in the chair.
1: I just. I'm sorry. One, like gravity. You turn it on, it's just straight corn the whole time.
2: (laughs) It's a fair point. I know. I will say that, like, through just even these first few episodes, we've learned so much. It's completely changed our view of surrogacy, adoption, foster to adopt, all of these different paths to parenthood. Which is actually
1: kind of what we're going to talk about today.
2: Yeah, it is. We're we're going to talk about like, I guess, what has changed. Where we're at. Where we're at and like what we're thinking now Mm -hmm. with surrogacy and and all that. So
1: with that, welcome to the Who's Your Daddy podcast, where we talk about starting a family through non-traditional means. We are your hosts and husbands, Michael and Matt. And today we're talking about where we're at. What? changed what What are our thoughts where are our heads at like a year and a half into this whole thing
2: i don't want to say like where we're at but maybe like where we're going because i don't feel like we've arrived anywhere oh there's
1: (laughs) what's funny is like yeah we haven't really made much progress since like i don't know when was that september october of last year right but (laughs) i think
2: our (laughs) our minds have changed we've really developed our thinking on this and have figured things out and have maybe taken a more active role mm-hmm. in the surrogacy process than we like previously thought that we were going to so I, I I like want to focus this episode on just how our viewpoints have changed since starting the process of surrogacy and these are kind of like the things that I wish I would have known in the in the conversations I, I I wish we had this conversation before we even started surrogacy because Mm -hmm. it would have changed a lot of like what we did and and how we pursued things. Well, I think part of it is like, it just would have better prepared us.
1: We kind of got halfway through the process and then we started getting a lot of questions and people were like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. And so as I am a podcast listener, I was like, this would be great to talk about on a podcast. It'd be so informative. Um, We could really like hash out some stories and, then as we started interviewing people who have done this and have gone through surrogacy, adoption, IVF, um, foster, we just learned a lot. And so we've we've had multiple people that we've talked to since starting the podcast. And I just feel like a lot has changed in our minds since we started doing that because we started asking a lot of people a lot of questions for a long time. Yeah. Um, which ideally we would have done before before we started everything you know but like who has who thinks about like oh my gosh i need to call this person for an hour and just grill them you know like who has that time and what
2: questions are you going to grill them with because like you don't know what you don't know (laughs) you don't know what you don't know and uh i think a lot of the last couple months have been figuring out just what we don't know and and how to learn those
1: things yeah hi michael hi matthew what a month has it been it's 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 over. Pride Month's over. I it's don't get cancer it. season. It's like dunseys. It's
2: your season. It's my season. It's your birthday. Yay. Happy birthday. Yeah, it's my
1: birthday. Really, really. Uh, two, Is it like a day or two after this? Can you believe uh, the it? day after this will be released. Feels
2: like just yesterday it was Grimace's birthday. <gasps> <laughs> and I hope, now it's yours. I hope
1: social media goes as bonkers for my birthday as they did for Grimace's.
2: Oh, highly doubtful. <laughs> social <laughs> media hasn't gone bonkers for anything more. Than grimace's birthday if you don't
1: know what we're talking about um the big purple blob there's definitely a small <laughs> sector of small tiktok i i didn't realize like that was a common thing until you like unearthed it
2: i actually think that most of tiktok is just now grimace videos it's just
1: well but you can't even get the shake
2: anymore no i know it's really frustrating i'm sad we drove to a mcdonald's Trying to find the Grimace Shake and then we realize that it's gone. Matthew wanted to recreate one of the videos. (laughs) because we missed out by like a week. If you haven't seen it, the TikTok videos, they're they're hilarious. They're people that are trying the Grimace Shakes and then they're like putting a horror film twist on it. It's so unexpected. Mm -hmm. People will chug the Grimace Shake and then they will turn into zombies and start like spitting up the purple nonsense (laughs) all over their shirts. (laughs) It's just just a trend going around where it's just going to people passed out with grimace shake down their shirt. I saw
1: somebody do it at an actual McDonald's and I was like, hopefully they're like on video or in person. Yeah. No, like, uh, I mean, they were videoing like inside of
2: it. I thought you were after they closed. I thought you were like actually at the McDonald's they were filming at. Oh, no. Like, whoa, what would you do? Oh my God, that would be hilarious. I'd probably join in. (laughs) Be like, tag me. Anyway. Other than Grimace's birthday and your birthday. Yeah. Also important. Very important. One of the most surprising things this last month has just been I'm not even, it's it's not been surprising. It's been unexpected. Okay. Releasing the podcast and like going into full on podcast producer mode has been insane. It is a lot of work, but
1: it's been amazing too. But I'm, I was, someone was texting me yesterday and I was like, it is so much work. But I like actually enjoy it. Like yeah. it's, I don't know. It's like actually kind of fun, I think. Just I sitting agree. Down and talking and chatting and releasing like forty-five minutes to an hour of just talking to people, interviewing people. I was saying too, we have friends that we like have interviewed that we've never just sat down and talked to them for like an hour straight, like super in depth, and then we got the chance to do
2: it on here. And how much we've learned from them and just those yeah. like conversations. So
1: I broke this down into like a few <laughs> Uh, Different categories. Sections. So I would say, like, what our thoughts were about the location mm. at the beginning and where we're at now. Location of what? Location of our clinic, of our surrogate, of, of our everything. agency. Got it. Of our everything. Okay. Second, we're going to talk a little bit about um, just our IVF experience. We haven't Second really. Category. Right. We
2: haven't d- dove into dove that. Into that. Yet.
1: No. Um, so kind of the emotional part of that and yeah. not just the like tick tocky part of it. Okay. Um, investment. So like one time and two money. So just the investment of all of it and how we feel. And then, mm, mm-hmm. um, the last one is going to dive into a little bit of, um, the support system that we've set up and kind of our thoughts on it. So our clinic, our agency, um, and kind of, Go from there on our thoughts and what we've learned from other people. And that's what I've decided today. That I love that. And dive into.
2: And I think I'll add one more section. What on top of that? Just what has changed for us and like our participation in the process fifth category. Um mm-hmm. yeah. I have some thoughts on that. Okay. I'll allow it. on it. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to add just that like since launching this podcast so many conversations have sprung up because of it just people so cool, yeah. within our circles and and outside our circles people who I've never talked to before and I've just received messages from either through DMs or email or just Instagram comments etc like oh my god there's so much to talk about with surrogacy adoption IVF mm-hmm. and all of this and I like I thought that this was like an area that you know, we, we needed more conversation about and more discussion and more education, but I didn't realize just how (laughs) excited people would be to, to like Mm. discuss it. So we're engaged and I just really appreciate like all of the feedback that we've gotten about this podcast and the topics that we're covering. I like, I, I don't know. I can't.
1: Speaking of, if you have anything to uh, contribute, you can always leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also leave us a rating. Love, I love that. that.
2: So, I'm really say- helps us out a lot and it helps mm-hmm. us reach the right people.
1: Yeah, and i i I haven't had too much time to dive into like all the reviews yet, but actually, we need to do that and see if there's like. Questions I've looked at the reviews a little
2: bit, and it's. It's been surprising because it's, like, really positive stuff. And paragraphs. Oh. People are leaving paragraphs. I love that. It is so different from what I usually see on TikTok and Instagram, etc. Mm-hmm. Because, like, typically I see an emoji or a cool, awesome, love it, or spam. And, <laughs> like, <laughs> this is... I, I just, like, I... I am kind of new to the podcast world in general Mm -hmm. and entering into it. I can see why this is so appealing because you get to know people on such a deeper level. And I just really appreciate that. Yeah. So that being said, let's get into your first topic. Okay.
1: So we talked about this probably, I don't remember exactly what we said, but we talked about this a little bit on a different episode and on social media about like how we chose where we chose. Right. Because currently... We um, had IVF. We did IVF in Texas through a clinic. Our embryos are in Texas. And an agency that we signed with is also in Texas. And we had spoken to agencies on the West Coast and Texas. And I don't remember where else, but I think that's kind of where we focused.
2: Like Oregon, Washington, California were the main ones. And then there was like Um, a few maybe spotted around the country. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I don't know, we just had a good feeling about it and maybe we still will. But I think as time has gone on, just thinking about like having things done that far away, I think we've sort of changed our mind a little bit on. We were feeling very positively about doing this process in another state. And I think it's because a lot of people that we've seen stories of, For some reason, they always have things done in other states.
2: Yeah. No. Most of the people that we know have done surrogacy and IVF in, like, other states. I know, like, New Yorkers who have done it in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And
1: And you you
2: see people all the time going from other countries and doing it in places like Oregon. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm like, okay, I know I'm in Oregon. One of the biggest thoughts that we had was that with so many people coming from other states and other countries to do the process here in Oregon or just on the West Coast like we thought there'd be a lot more competition to find um, a gestational carrier or a surrogate. Mm -hmm. So that was like one of the big implications of like, Oh, we should go look somewhere else right? because we don't, um, I don't know. I didn't want to compete Mm -hmm. to to find a a surrogate or gestational carrier. Right. And so that's, that
1: was sort of our our thought process there. And like, I knew people in Illinois who did it in California and people in New York who did it in Florida and people in New York who did it in Oregon. And it just felt like everybody is sort of just like bouncing around. and I wasn't sure why, but then also hearing their stories, I think a lot of their IVF clinics were local, um, which mm. maybe would have been nice thinking back to it. And I don't know that we necessarily went and deep, did a deep dive into like cost comparison, but I think, We we thought if we had our agency and our clinic in the same spot that that would be like the most convenient, but now I'm sort of like "Mm, maybe not because now we're not even sure. Right, it's been so long that we've been waiting to match with a surrogate. Like we're not even sure if our surrogate would be in in Texas. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought it would be so much faster having an agency to maybe just even get a call or like I don't know something would happen faster. I think they set like the re- like, I think they set the expectation a little bit. Um, but it just feels like it's been
2: a long time. <laughs> a lot of what I'm hearing is I think I thought this, you know, like at the time mm-hmm. and and I still could be wrong. I know, but even now. <laughs> I I have to say like at the beginning of it, I had no idea what was right and what was wrong about the process. And I just had inclinations or mm-hmm. feelings and thoughts. And like, I were making some pretty big decisions based off mm-hmm. of those first feelings and thoughts. I also
1: think um, something big that happened between then and now is like we signed with, I believe, our agency like maybe spring of 2022. Right. And then the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade like that June. And even though, like, we knew Texas wasn't a super friendly state, you know, if you had an emergency and you ended up having to terminate a pregnancy, like,
2: now it's, it's like, really bad. So and how so, would that necessarily affect, like, well, the surrogacy you, process with I don't Roe think v. Wade being overturned?
1: I don't think there's going to be as many people in Texas willing to be surrogates, knowing that, like, there is a higher chance of miscarriage when you're doing an embryo transfer than, like, you know. Getting pregnant through normal heterosexual means, um, and if they like, they cannot seek care, and doctors are like so unwilling to terminate a pregnancy, even if it's, even if it's like affecting the mother's life at this point. Like they have to be so deathly ill, like on their on their deathbed, that I think there's going to be like a big pullback of people, one wanting to, I mean. They're probably going to be rethinking just getting pregnant in general. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. And then two, like, offering to do that for somebody else in a state that, like, it could kind of be dangerous in. So now I'm like, was uh, this – I right. was worried about that a little bit at the beginning. I, we've been reassured that, like, it's not, like, a big deal. It's not going to affect it. But yeah. I, in the back of my mind, I have that sitting there, like, gosh, this just doesn't I, – if I were a woman and I were in Texas, I, I was – of the mindset that I'm going to help a gay couple, right? Which means right. I'm like maybe a little bit left-leaning, maybe a little bit more liberal politically. Totally. Um, I probably want to have the, the uh, support of like all medical, all medical means necessary to like be safe.
2: Because I was kind of thinking that Roe v. Wade being overturned wouldn't necessarily affect the surrogacy industry because... I
1: think it's 100% has to.
2: Well, I just thought that I was like, oh, well, this is I don't know. It's talking about babies that are already in the womb and uh, the possibility, you know, of getting an abortion. And I didn't Mm -hmm. I didn't think it would affect the creation of embryos, transferring those embryos to a surrogate. But I didn't. I, I didn't think about the trickle down effect of like what that does to people mentally when they're thinking about getting pregnant and it how just that makes could, it more dangerous, right? And how that could affect the yeah. the supplier or availability of of people willing to be gestational carriers.
1: The whole point of like, not the whole point, but like one of the points of Roe and just like reproductive care in general is that like pregnancy is a risk like even if it's perfect even if you're healthy like you could be healthy and you can have complications even if you deliver a full-term baby like you know you're not miscarrying or having like um uh a preemie or anything like that like Mm -hmm. they're just risks right like you have pregnancy diabetes you can be gestational diabetes yeah sorry yes you can have gestational diabetes preeclampsia high blood pressure i mean like There's so many other things, and I'm not an OBGYN, so I don't don't know. I just know a few, like, basic things that, like, your body changes, things happen. There's so much going on, and you just are at risk. And it can be, obviously, pretty uncomfortable for some people, for a lot of people. Um, And I think the fact that, like, one, it's a risk, and then, two, if there are complications, you should be allowed to... Have a doctor talk you through those without the doctor worrying about who could get sued or uh, 100% <laughs> whose license could yeah. be taken away because they're putting your best interest. Without going first. too far
2: into it, I want to know if somebody were to get pregnant in the state of Texas, would they be able then to go to a different state to get an abortion?
1: I know. Yeah. But like,
2: but like, what a barrier. That is
1: if you have somebody in the emergency room in Oregon and you're like, oh, all <gasps> right you need to go to Idaho. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Like you need to go to Idaho. Sorry. Right. They're not going there because they're healthy. They're going there because like something's, something's going wrong. wrong.
2: Yeah. OK. So it's like, I'm just like understanding again that didn't cross my mind when thinking about <laughs> yeah. Roe versus Wade getting overturned. Right. <laughs> and that this is definitely something that would be thought through for. People who want to be like yes, you a can go to a
1: different yes, you can go to a different state if you find out that you're pregnant and you don't want it. Right. But the problem with surrogacy right now in my head is that if you're in a state where you can't get the proper care and you're going to carry someone else's child, you're not going to go in to have. You're not trying. You're not just asking to have an abortion to, because you don't want that child. Like you t- totally chose right to carry right. that child. Mm-hmm. It's because if there's complications, complications and like you need emergency care and you need it done now. And I've heard a few stories of, you know, what they've picked up as far as news coverage or articles or even on podcasts, you know, of women. And they, the doctors are like, you're not sick enough or like, you know, it's not bad enough. Or like, there's still, I think one of the problems is like, there's still a heartbeat. Like, even though they know that the baby's not going to make it, if there's still a heartbeat, like they can't intervene or something Mm. bonkers like that. So it's just the so one that really changed. Yeah. Um, and again, at first we were like, I don't know, maybe that maybe it'll still be okay. But in my mind, I don't feel super comfortable like putting someone in that position. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. No, that does make sense. And then like mm-hmm. we flew to Texas and we did our sperm donations or sperm collection or whatever. Mm-hmm. And our physical exams and we found a fantastic egg donor in texas Mm -hmm. and we did the donation there and went through all of that so like we did a big portion of this process in texas Mm -hmm. up until this point um and now i think like (laughs) we're we're thinking about this differently now is like oh um once the embryo our future baby is transferred into a gestational carrier is that person going to be like all the way across the country in texas yeah and for how for for eight months nine months you know as the pregnancy goes through and and we're thinking about like all the appointments that occur and ultrasounds and things like that and how nice it would be to be a part of it be a part of it and um i think the big like deciding factor for us was thinking like i don't know we just have this big expectation in our head that if we pursued the process in oregon then we were going to have to wait like three or four years or more to find a gestational carrier and that it would be 10 times more expensive than it was in texas or except like a
1: little hyperbolic
2: i am exaggerating here (laughs) but you you understand and in texas we're like this is gonna solve all of our problems (laughs) all of them i just you think again hyperbolic
1: yeah i think i don't know i didn't know of like a ton, a ton of people doing surrogacy in Texas. Um, I was sort of hopeful that it was sort of a unique state that just happened to have a ton of people Um, and maybe some people that would be willing. I don't, and maybe that's still true. Again, maybe it's still true. I just, it's been a long time. We haven't really heard many people being interested in being a surrogate in Texas. Um, And so I think we're just, and obviously what we just talked about, Um, is kind of, like, in the back of our heads of, like, do we even want this person to be in Texas if we don't know if they will be completely safe?
2: Well, the biggest thing, like, even with some of the stories we've already heard, um, interviewing people on this podcast, the possibility of birth occurring um, prematurely or Mm -hmm. just uh, kind of all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. uh, unexpectedly, and us wanting to be present for the birth I think is is huge um that's something that's going to be like a a no-brainer deciding factor for both of us now is like thinking about we want to be able to drive to where our gestational carrier is or mm-hmm. or I mean get there within a reasonable amount of time if if they're to go into labor unexpectedly right and the other thing is thinking about just um NICU stays in the length of time that that can that that can be right and needing to be prepared to um stay in a different state for weeks or mm-hmm. even months if there's complications
1: and that can happen with singletons or twins right yeah. yeah um so we talked about this a little bit, but we did go to Texas, we did
2: do our part of our donation. <laughs> I want to do a whole episode on sperm donation rooms, and I think,
1: I think we can cover most of it here. <laughs> I don't think it deserves. Maybe it's an entire episode. I find you, it fascinating. You had a lot of fun there. Well, you did too. How did you? How did you find the
2: experience? Oh God! Was this an R-rated podcast now? No, Explicit? it's
1: not an R-rated podcast. Oh we just make making
2: babies. I know. Okay. Well, <laughs> big leather chair. In the middle of the oh God, room. We're just
1: going straight to the
2: room. Oh, yes, we are. Um, and <laughs> I found it so strange. <laughs> I just, like, have never experienced anything like that before in a medical setting. Because I <laughs> it feels so sterile. And then at the same time, you have this, like, old school TV with VHS capability. Uh, it was VHS, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Was it, there a VHS... Player,
2: wait, yeah. I thought it was just the TV. It was like a VHS TV, like a built-in, like a built-in VHS player in the TV, I think, or it was a separate VHS oh, no. player in I the TV on that top it was of it. Like that, one of those. <laughs> oh but my god! Anyway, so <laughs> they put um like one of those P pads down on the. the oh, they call them a checks pad. Checks pad down on the. <laughs> The leather chair to make sure that you know it can catch any spillage that could occur. Who and I, oh my god, I sat in the chair. I sat in the chair. I just, I'm
1: sorry, but one, like gravity, and then two, who's sitting just it's awful, but sitting down in that chair. (sighs) So, anyways, the setup beyond, beyond what Matthew's described is that there's a giant lazy boy leather chair, chuck pad down, TV in front of you Mm -hmm. that just is on kind of like blank
2: walls, no windows. Yeah, on uh, fluorescently
1: lit. You turn it on, it's just straight corn the whole time. Straight corn. Straight corn. (laughs) Straight corn. Literally straight corn. Straight corn. And then there are like some Playboy
2: magazines. Was also no options on the TV. Once you turn it on, you turn it on. It's one video. Yeah. One video only. Yeah. And it is not good.
1: No. No bueno.
2: I turned it on.
1: And then the, the rest of the room is like medical. So it's just like the <laughs> those like plain like from mica, whatever countertops and like medical cabinetry. And then you have like a little window that you put
2: your sample in when you're yep. done. Which is really funny because when I put mine in, immediately, almost immediately, it was opens. like two or three seconds passed and The other side open and they grabbed it. And I'm like, whoa, that was quick. (laughs) Are they listening? Are they waiting for me? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, But. But I did find that really funny, though, that you you did not sit in the chair and you did not turn on the TV. And I sat in the chair and I did turn on the TV. No. Which I will say did did not help me in in finishing the process.
1: No. hundred percent. No.
2: Because if you think about like, Yeah sitting down in this leather chair and turning on the TV and being like, Oh, that's straight corn. No, I was like, Nope, nothing's happening here for a while. (laughs) But yeah, that was funny. (laughs) Two adjacent rooms, two completely different experiences. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: that was fun. Um, and then let's see, we came back home and then our egg donor went in, um, Harvested eggs. So do you want to talk a little bit about kind of like that process? Cause that was essentially like a giant whirlwind of a week because it was yeah. like highs and then lows.
2: <laughs> yeah. Egg donation week is a pretty emotional week for Very. many people who go through the process. It is like I don't know. There's so many expectations and things leading up to it. And it's a lot of buildup. Like we spent months and months and months um preparing. Legally and financially, mm-hmm. and um, just just going through the step by step, and then once you finally get to the egg donation portion, it's it's like fingers crossed, and you hope that you get a a decent donation. And our egg donor was incredible; she did everything that she was supposed to, yeah, like hundred percent. She did amazingly, flawlessly, and it was really interesting because we actually stayed in contact with our egg donor, which is something that a lot of people do not do. Um, yeah. I didn't find that out until, like, after we interviewed our egg donor. But most people, the majority of people, it's random. Or, sorry, not wearing a private? It's private or anonymous, yeah. So, <coughs> Anonymous. Anonymous. That's the better Anonymous one. donation. Right. It's an anonymous donation. And so most people don't talk to their egg donor. They don't interview them. Uh, they don't get to know them at all. Mm-hmm. And all that information is kept secret. But for us, we really wanted to, like, have I don't know an indication of what her personality was like right um even though like personality there's way more that goes into a personality than just genetics obviously but Mm -hmm. like we wanted to just get an idea of like who is this person that's going to be the genetic mother of our children Mm -hmm. and um for better or for worse we were like okay let's do the call let's let's meet her Mm uh we met in person she's lovely she's wonderful Mm -hmm. and then (sighs) Uh, and then we decided to move forward with everything. We decided to move forward with her before
1: we met her in right. person. We we just zoomed. We did like a Zoom video call, got a really good feeling, and then um, most are most egg donations are like closed, right? Like they don't really get updates unless you update the agency, and then the agency gives them the update. You have to like right. Go so it's the going middleman. through like a
2: third party or something like that. But we. We're able to get text updates throughout like the week or two of hormone injections.
1: I'm talking about like when the babies are here. Usually the oh. egg donor doesn't have any sort of communication uh with the family. Um the if the family gives an update, the family would send like pictures of the babies to the agency and the agency would pass that on to like the the egg donor if they right. wanted to know. We were pretty I mean, I think I wanted to be as, like, open about the process as possible. And I think you did, too. or we were like, well, this is sort of like the genetic tie, you know, the other half of the kids. And so I think it would be useful for them to know this person. And it, I don't know. I think it'd be nice for us to have some sort of, you know, relationship with somebody who's going to give us give us this gift. So I think we're kind of weird in that sense that we were doing more of, like, an open. Um, but also, we're so public online. like. Yeah. I don't even know how it could have been completely closed. It's just like we would, we're kind that of posting. That did pass through my and, mind. And, you know, like we're yeah. talking about this on a podcast and we're posting stuff on TikTok about it and we're an and Instagram. And it's just like our lives are sort of an open book already. It just, I think it just lent itself to, to being like, we would love to know this person. We'd love them to know who we are so that, you know, we, they can kind of watch this process
2: unfold. And one piece of commentary that I did hear that struck me and made me kind of like, second-guess myself or second-guess my thoughts on this was that um, somebody told me I have no issue with knowing the egg donor or my kids knowing the egg donor etc but I didn't want to make that decision for my kids Um, I wanted them to be able to make the decision of knowing who their genetic mother is or who yeah who, who it is that's like maternally attached to them in that way and I find I found that really interesting because to think about like, I'm,
1: I, I guess I don't
2: fully follow like we already made that decision to not be anonymous. um So our egg donor knows who we are. We know who our egg donor is. Yeah. But like this argument is, you know, is that OK to make that decision? For your kids, because like essentially what we either way, right? Essentially, what we're doing is we made that decision, but like would our future kids regret that or feel kind of like slighted by it because Why? we made that decision for them? You know, they, they, they didn't get the chance to say like, no, I don't want to know who my genetic mother is until I'm older or something really like that. They also get to
1: choose to be made in a Petri dish.
2: <laughs> it's a fair point. I know. I, I'm a Libra.
1: Nobody, nobody gets to choose who their parents are.
2: I have a habit, of, know what I mean, yeah, I know, but I just like I second guess myself. I th- I see it, things from other people's point of view and I and I think like maybe that makes sense in some sense. I think sense. the argument is is
1: some people want it to be closed and that's fine. So like if you're an egg donor or you're a sperm donor, um especially I think if you're a sperm donor cuz you could have Multiple, like right. many yeah. children <laughs> out there, I would assume more than an egg donor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just, it just might be a lot for you to know where everyone is or, totally. or you know what I mean? Yeah. And like to have a relationship to try and like open things up so that you know where all of your genetic, you know, ties are in the world. And I can see where that would be overwhelming. Um, our egg donor, we said we were open to either they were, were hopeful for an open. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I was like, I totally get that. Like you're giving of yourself. And I think it's a good idea. I I, I understand where like the emotion of, of wanting to know how that process ended up and like, yeah, know, absolutely. Being yourself reflected in the world. And who knows if this might be the only time that she does that, you know, because we went the first timing donor. Um, so I think the, the argument is, like, some people don't want to do a closed sperm donor or a mm-hmm. closed egg donor because they want their kids to have the option when they're older. Mm-hmm. So if they do that, then they're like, oh, this one's open, but it has they have to wait till they're 18. We just, like, skip the process. To yeah. They know them now.
2: So obviously there's many ways to do things. Mm-hmm. Like, there's good arguments on both sides. Yeah. And I, there's a lot of different reasons to do it a different way. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, like, yeah it's neither here or there
1: i can play devil's advocate for anybody of
2: course you can thank you (laughs) love that
0: ohio ready for some quick mental health facts let's go nearly two million ohioans live with a mental health condition in the u.s more than 50 percent of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide so why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org.
2: Um, so what happened with the eggs? The emotions
1: of the week. Um, and obviously this plays out on both sides. Um, the person who's going through all of this insane medical... Um, procedures and hormones and everything. The injections, you know, all of and that. Then, and then the people on the other side who are essentially just waiting, you know, for and
2: getting short updates here and there for results and hoping that things are going well. A um, lot of time and financial, like, investment and emotional investment right. through, mm-hmm. like, up until that point. And then it's a very intense week while you're receiving little bits and pieces of information. Mm.
1: <laughs> we found out that. I mean, at first it was like amazing news. It was like, we have 30 eggs. We harvested 30 eggs. And I was like, oh my gosh, perfect. Like we knew of somebody else who had got 30 eggs and they had like an amazing outcome. So I was like, oh, sweet. We're hitting the same markers, the same numbers. Um, This is going to be great. Uh, And then I don't remember how long it takes, but then you find out how many are mature. Um, So we... We did a lot. This whole process, you end up with a lot of cut downs. So we had thirty down to twenty. Um, so we split those ten and ten, half fertilized um, with Matthew's sperm, half fertilized with mine. Um, it came back, and you found out that you had seven that fertilized, right? And I, they came back to me and said that I only had one. Yeah. And so the. This all happened within like 72 hours I think or something, something short like that, like a few days. Right,
2: it was the emotional high of of hearing like, "Oh, we have 30 eggs." And yeah. then the next day realizing realizing
1: okay, we have 20. 20. And then the next day
2: realizing oh, we have
1: like 6 or 7, but only one of of yours. Michaels. Yeah. Yeah. And so only one of them fertilized and then as they develop, then you usually lose more. So I'm in this like state of just like panic because obviously this is super expensive. Yeah. Um, and I, we could have gone through this whole process. We could have flown to Texas. We could have signed all these contracts. We could have spent tens and tens of thousands of dollars to end up with like, like nothing. I, I might have nothing. um,
2: or just like the I I don't know for me is the emotional impact of the unknown of like not knowing what necessarily went wrong or like even if we were to redo this process know, all so over confusing. again would it be the same result? Um, and just like okay, well we have these six or seven embryos of mine and then or well blastocysts at this point and then the one of yours and like would it what if we went and did the whole process again like would it be with the same egg donor or a different egg donor? Mm -hmm. And then like, would our children be related at all Or would it be completely like separate fathers and mothers genetically? And just kind of like trying to piece together this mental picture of what the process was now going to look like for both of us with the prospect of like not having any, any viable embryos from Michael's end.
1: Right. So you hear that on like day one, I think, um, of like how how many fertilized and then you get an update on day 3 and day 5 if i'm remembering right, correctly that's correct day 3 they were all still developing i think that was i was down to 5 total yeah and then your one, one was still on was there hanging in there mm-hmm. and then we got to day 5 or the end and all of them had developed yep. to that or mine had developed to that point. And all I'd, five
2: of mine had developed. Had developed.
1: Um so we made it to blastocyst stage, but then we have one more hurdle to go through because now we're going to do the PGT testing, PGA testing. We can't yeah that is like a is.
2: genetic testing that they do yeah. basically just to look at I think what they do is they Promosomes. take chromosomes. Chromosomes. Yeah. They take a sample of the placental layer of the embryo and then it's it's a small sample just like a little smattering of cells i think it's like
1: literally like like one or two cells i don't even Maybe know Maybe six
2: cells something oh, like okay. that
1: <laughs> um like how many cells are there even at this point
2: <laughs> we could be off on that number who knows yeah. it's it's a it's a bit it's a bit of cells yeah. with a micropipette or whatever and then they look at those cells and they see if they're i think what they're looking at is the number of chromosomes
1: I, essentially they're they're looking at i think a a number of things um they're looking at the complement of chromosomes if i'm correct mm-hmm. um they can check for down syndrome right so they can check for trisomy 21 they can check yep. for
2: probably what like
1: klein filters anything that's like an xxy sort but essentially of essentially they're just
2: looking to see if there's Kerners, the correct number of maybe. chromosomes and and then they kind of like make a percentage of how many cells have the correct number of chromosomes versus incorrect number of chromosomes. They're able to see which chromosome is like a like if um which chromosome number is extra or missing. Um, and then yes, they basically they give you a report and say, like, here's your percentages of um viability based off of like these mm-hmm. numbers. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at the embryo and the embryo's placental layer and you're making a judgment saying This placental layer is abnormal with these chromosomes. Therefore, it most likely will not make it to viability or to to, to be able to birth a child um, because it will most likely spontaneously miscarry. They
1: also grade the embryos like based on looks. They sort of they called it like a pageant, like a beauty pageant. Like, (laughs) does this one look normal? And then they give it like a grade like ABC or whatever. Yeah. and that doesn't really like, I don't know. They're, it, they're like, it's not the m- biggest determining factor, but
2: like it can be percentage based, can, you know, like something that you can kind of look, look at, at. To see if it gives you an idea of whether or not yeah. the embryo will make it or not.
1: So we find out after PGT testing that you have four
2: yep. that passed. Four of mine normal. passed. One of them, one of my five was abnormal. Meaning that it most likely would not make it to birth. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore we would not continue with that one embryo.
1: And then the other ones have like a little like smattering of of beauty pageant grades. But yeah all right. good on mm-hmm. all like p- implantable yep. or transferable. However totally. you want to say that. Um my one came back and they said that it had low level mosaicism. Which I was like, what in the heck does that mean? Um, So we got on a call with like the genetic testing lab or something or geneticist and they sort of walked us through it. Essentially, it just means that it could have a lower probability of Mm -hmm. like carrying to full term, maybe like a slightly higher percentage of miscarriage. But if everything goes well, then like totally normal baby. Yeah. Like almost 100% normal baby. So I don't know. I think it was just that part has just been the biggest emotional hurdle because now you have to also then implant the embryo. The embryo has to take. The embryo has to not miscarry and carry to a full
2: term. And basically just looking at all these odds of...
1: Um... It just has to make it through all these separate little like hurdles that it feels like the odds are very against us or against it. Um, But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. It was the one and it was the one that made it through. And like technically passed everything. So it's like, I don't know, maybe this could be, maybe it could, you know, just like pass all the hurdles, go through all the things.
2: We really have very little control over all of it. And it's Mm -hmm. just kind of like sitting back and waiting and and hoping and fingers crossed that that things go well. Um, and so that's where we're at on the egg donation of all of it.
1: Yeah, it was, it's still just like stressful because it's always in the back of your mind. And it also leads into essentially the next category, right? Which is just Mm -hmm. like an investment. And it's such an investment of time and money. Um, we've already looked into whether or not we could do another cycle. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. It just feels so... It feels unfair to get one embryo and then to go and ask what the, what the cost could be for another cycle. And I'm not remembering if, if we included the, the egg donor compensation in it or not, but I think it's like 18 to $20,000 just to do another cycle with all the medications. And the Addition, fee, the medications
2: would be additional to that, I believe.
1: And X Y Z. Yeah. And it's like that's that's like I don't know. At first, we were like, I was thinking that's like almost an entire agency fee for an adoption. And it's like, is it worth it to go? I mean, what I do think you do? When, when
2: we were looking at it, it would be around thirty thousand dollars total, right? Um, I think that's including the medications. Uh, the hormones etc that you have to pay for um and so i think when we're thinking about that it it, it's kind of like okay we already have one of yours that can make it we have four of mine that can make it um is it really i mean like (laughs) we're not made of money i'm not gonna like Invest another thirty thousand dollars when we have the option or possibility of birthing a child with what we already have totally and and I and that's what what it came down to was like even though the odds are not necessarily um the odds are kind of against us mm-hmm. as far as far as like chances go um if both Michael and I were to to have a baby of our own, however, like there's still a chance mm-hmm. so why not pursue that avenue, see how that works before? we invest a bunch more money right? for a possible maybe.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people end up with three or four viable embryos, right? And then you will have failed transfers. Um, and we know people who their first transfer was perfect and it went well. And then their next three failed. And we know other people whose first like two or three transfers failed. And then their fourth one, like the last on their last embryos they had Cook. Wow. And it's like this it's just so, so we even we haven't even tried like one transfer even, yet. And you just don't even know. Yeah. You just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And they tell you that. They say like you can't predict biology, you can't control biology.
2: So I think for us it was like okay, we're just going to let go of control over <laughs> this little aspect. I don't know if I've
1: let go of control. I think I'm just stressing about the fact that I don't have uh. control over it.
2: <laughs> but I mean, we're going to let go of um you know pursuing another egg donation at this time at this time just yeah. just so that we feel more comfortable with the numbers i mean, I mean like it just to make ourselves feel better <laughs>
1: what well, it's, it's not just to make ourselves feel better it's we just don't have it in the bank well that yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we need that you know for like the rest of the process right which i mean i think the other thing is when we when we got when we sat down and we were looking at everything and we find out that we're like somewhere between 70 and $80,000 already invested in this process. And we have five embryos and like, yes, it's a big part of the process, but it's sort of like, that's all we have. Mm -hmm. I don't know. In my, Mm -hmm. in my like twisted, you know, I don't know, maybe pessimistic mind. I'm like, we all we have is like five embryos, you know, sitting and waiting but and that cost us like that much money, and there's still so many processes, still so many steps to go through. And, and then,
2: maybe in my optimistic side, if I could play devil's advocate, uh, yeah, please, we have five embryos. No, I know, I know, I know. We could know, have know, five children from that. That's amazing. Don't you want five kids I running is, around right this,
1: now? I think this whole process is just stressful. Um, and I think all these processes are stressful, and if it. If we could go, but at the same time, it's like if we could go through another egg donation process and another fertilization process and it costs a couple thousand dollars, like under, under 10, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like we should, we should definitely do that. But it's just like, we still have to pay like a surrogate and a lawyer and for health insurance and for like children when they arrive. Yeah. And just, it's overwhelming. I think from the um what is that called pragmatic side of things um I'm learning that a lot of people have taken out loans just to do this process that is not something that I would like to do I'd like to try and get through this process without having to do that <sighs> yeah um or having to dip into retirement or anything like
2: I don't know just more I think will be financially burdensome. Very fortunate if we don't have to take out loans or dip into retirement. That'll be a like I'll I'll feel pretty fortunate if we get through the process without doing that because I know that's not necessarily the yeah. norm, right? No, right. so, um, no, we'd be very lucky, and I think you know that. And it's not like people plan on taking out loans going through the process. It's just that complications occur and things come up and you have to redo the egg donation cycle and you have to redo transfers, things like that. So, like, yeah.
1: Yeah, you do. And that's and there's a lot of times where that happens, where you like it costs thousands of dollars just for a transfer. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so that's also something that we have to think about. Like if the first one fails, it costs more money to do another one you know there's no guarantees um well if we haven't convinced you not to do surrogacy yet <laughs> keep on listening no <laughs> i think it's just that's the time and the investment part it's just like it's so much time in the back of your head to think about all the things that could go wrong yeah and as we sit here and we wait to match with the surrogate it's just like man are we i feel like we're we're gonna need somebody who like is very very perfect on paper because it's like you and, don't want this And to you go say wrong
2: sitting here waiting to match with the surrogate. I feel like now we're taking an active role in finding a surrogate. Well we just And that's recently something that's did. changed. Yes. And well, that's next list on the, or next the point. The next
1: thing on the list is essentially, yeah, like this time investment is sort of frustrating a little bit. Um and a lot of people that we've talked to have sort of done it independently you know outside of an agency like finding their surrogate, interviewing their surrogate um if you do that it's a cost savings uh but it's a lot more legwork on your side of things mm-hmm. so but anyways you can talk maybe a little bit more about how that came to be or like i think you're doing most of that
2: uh i just i think like i didn't really know how much of an active role we could play i guess and 0.5 kind of blending together than if this is really 0.4 but like the sense of how much of an active role we could play into finding our surrogate because I was simply unaware of the ability to find other people online who I don't know just like in the independent sense I, I thought like most people I thought the vast majority of people went through an agency. I didn't really realize that there was a large percentage of people who actually pursued this process completely independent of I an agency. I didn't realize
1: that there were um, women interested in being surrogates who were not interested in signing up with an agency. Right. Because like those Facebook groups
2: are... Some of them are um, agency-friendly in the sense that like agencies can be on there and they can advertise their services. But they're not
1: signed with an agency
2: some of the people on these Facebook groups are signed with agencies, oh, okay. but they might not necessarily. And I don't know like the legality of it or like the exclusivity of it. It's probably different per agency and per agreement. But like if um uh somebody is signed with a surrogacy agency, they might also be open to working independently. And it just depends on mm-hmm. the parents they want to work with or the intended parents. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, starting to look online i i mean we made our instagram post and and whatever and and i thought okay maybe there's somebody out there who will see it and then potentially reach out and I, I felt like for a long time i was just kind of like sitting and waiting for somebody to message in but it wasn't until recently that i started going onto facebook and getting into different surrogacy groups and posting myself and and putting out a picture and saying this is who we are this is um This is a little bit about us, and we want to be parents, and this is kind of like how the process has gone so far, and we have embryos and we're ready. And that's when I really started getting connected with people and having conversations about, Mm -hmm. you know, potentially continuing onward to surrogacy. And I feel like we've made way more headway just in the last few weeks than we've made in the last year, year and a half on finding a surrogate.
1: Yeah, and then even even going through that process and talking to people, messaging people, setting up like a call, it's like, Oh my God, like this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like trying to find the right person and what's well, a big
2: deal, but like it's a big deal when it comes down to it, we're the ones making the decision and we're making the best decision mm-hmm. we can for us and for our future family. So like, it, it's up to us. Um, I don't, <laughs> I felt like, you know, Putting a bunch of money towards an agency would kind of like lift responsibility off of myself, and and allow us more breathing room or whatever in order to like continue through the surrogacy process or like put us in the best case scenario. But when it comes down to it, like we're still responsible for every step of this process, and right. we have to see it through. So I don't know. I got tired of waiting. And- it is
1: exactly that. That's the hard part. I think is getting your embryos and then waiting a year and a half and not really like hearing much about any potential surrogate or like where you're at in line or like i don't right, know it's yeah. just kind of hard to not do anything so it's like we just do so like feeling compelled just let's
2: get it going like, like, let's start posting let's find people try and
1: do this you know on our own or at least help be the process up.
2: The one aside to this is that when you open yourself up to finding your own surrogate independently or just on your own, um, you are kind of like exposing yourself to all the good and the bad of the world. So you can be a little bit more vulnerable to having some unpleasant situations come up. Um, and I mean, like we had a great interview with one surrogate um, mm-hmm. with one potential surrogate who was amazing and like we could potentially a potential. Yep. We can continue on that road. That was our first interview. So it's
1: like get a few under our belt maybe before we just like jump in. Right.
2: And then like, you know, I, I spent a long time conversing with another potential surrogate online, just back and forth, communication messaging back and forth. And then I set up an appointment for an interview. It was a no show. So there's just like some maybe wasted time or a lesson learned there. But those things happen too and a potential surrogate could be a no show for for I don't know any anybody could be a no show on it but like y- we've heard horror stories of surrogates not showing up for something or pulling out at the last second you know mm-hmm. you go through all the legal process and the medical process etc and then it's like okay it's time for the transfer and then they pull out and mm. like fair enough you know it's it's their body their decision they get to choose. That's okay. Sometimes we make a decision and then we go back on that decision, and 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 that happens. Um, it's just a lot of emotional investment, time, and financial investment to put into it to um, then kind of be let down last minute.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, but you're vulnerable to that no matter if you're with an agency or you're with um, or you're going independent or right. looking for someone yourself.
1: I don't know. So we're still. Looking for a surrogate? If anybody's interested. Here's our advertisement. Maybe, yeah. Here's our advertisement. Um, yes. Leave a rating and review and also message us if you want to be a surrogate and you have a uterus.
2: This podcast was brought to you by Michael and Matt and their search for a surrogate. <laughs> Do you want to have a
1: baby but don't want to raise them?
2: <laughs> well, call us up. Look no further. We are ready for
1: you. <laughs> okay. Um, well, this has been great. Uh, we. We've not like dove into the deep into that IVF experience and exactly where we're at. Um, That was definitely like the biggest emotional hurdle thus far, at least for Uh, me, for sure.
2: Still kind of dealing with it.
1: Oh, totally. It's fresh. It's totally. Yeah. And it's almost one of those things. It's like, if the, if that embryo is not going to work, I just want to know now, like I want it. I want to have a transfer. I want to know if it took. And then if not, then I want to be able to like, just like, have that answer you know um but that anyways, being
2: said like we do feel fortunate that we have the embryos that we have like that's yeah. amazing
1: It and you can definitely end up with none or one or two and we have five and like that's great
2: <laughs> it's just there's so many things that we can't control and we're just going to continue forward and hope for the freaking best but i think one thing that i've learned in the last year and a half is that we have a lot more control over this than we not control we have a we have a lot more ability to like participate a lot more ability to influence
1: potentially influence the process or at least the the speed at which the process happens
2: we can take responsibility we can we can like i mean yeah we can put the responsibility on ourselves and, and see it through that's what i mean like um I don't know. I just felt so far removed from it at the beginning of it and thought it was something that happens far away, something that we are just going to be getting updates on and providing input on, et cetera. But now, now I feel feels like
1: more personal.
2: We're putting our hands in it, we're getting our hands dirty and we're gonna be working <laughs> through it. We're gonna be
1: <laughs> we're de- we're gonna deliver that baby ourselves.
2: <laughs> just yeah. kidding. No, we're not gonna do, do that. that. But with that being said, it's like you start Somewhere and then you get somewhere completely different, just like this podcast. We started somewhere, we didn't know where we're going, we thought we knew where we were going, and then we ended up somewhere completely different. Well, I think that's all we have for today.
1: Yeah. I think we're just gonna wrap it there. I feel good. Um, thanks for listening to our story and just kind of the ups and downs and constant thoughts that are going through our head of like, are we doing the right thing? Did we do this in the right spot? Like. Did we use the right clinic? Are we are we
2: pursuing this in the best way possible? I'm going to normalize. Normalize. Can we normalize we this? Can we normalize? <laughs> um, just bring familiarity to the fact that a lot of us don't know what we're doing and we're trying our best. And mm-hmm. it's okay to feel uncertain about the way that you're pursuing this. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to, to learn and to change mm-hmm. your minds on things. And, and that's okay. Yeah, and I don't We're think you're learning. ever going
1: to go through this process and think like, oh my gosh, I did everything I'm did so excited about everything I did and I did everything perfectly and nothing could have gone better. Maybe that's the case
2: for some people. I just think that that's very rare. So if you're feeling that, if you're feeling the pressure, the uncertainty, I am right there with you. Mm-hmm. And seriously, like send us a message. I want to hear from you. I want to mm-hmm. hear from you on... What you've experienced with non-traditional past to parenthood, whether you've gone through the process, whether you're currently going through it or you're just thinking about it or I don't know, not even interested in it. And you're just here to have a good time. (laughs) Well, with that
1: said, again, thanks for listening. Leave us a rating and a review. And until next
2: time. (gasps) Daddy's Daddy's out! out. Save big on Brunch for Mom. All in the Kroger app.